As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 405 of the Wayne's Comics podcast. As always, thanks so much for listening. Once again, it's a great doubleheader week as I interview two folks who have been on the podcast before and they give us updates as to what they're up to right now. First up is Caleb Palmquist from A Small Favor who has a Kickstarter going on right now for the follow-up book which is titled The Undying Soldier Number 1. We talk about why he's going to individual issues rather than trades as he moves forward, as well as what the story's about and what we can expect. Then I talk with Sam Johnson, whose Geek Girl number five has just been released. He gives us information as to how we can get that issue, as well as previous offerings featuring this great character and her supporting cast. He's always got a lot of great insights into the industry, so I'm sure you're going to enjoy what he has to say. There's a lot to get to in this episode. So let's get on with the show. It's great to talk with Caleb Palmquist, the creator of Modern Mythology and A Small Favor, among other good things. How are you doing, Caleb? I'm doing great. How are you, Wayne? Good. Good to talk with you again. Let's get into what's going on. There's a Kickstarter going on. You're, you're following up from A Small Favor. Talk a little bit about that. All right. So this is the third A Small Favor Kickstarter. We had previously done A Small Favor, The Ruins of Enkidu, which was a full-length graphic novel that was the beginning of the story. And then we did earlier this year, we did a small favor, a zero issue called Welcome to Earthworld that was sort of like um, an introduction to the characters. And that took place before the graphic novel that we did. So now this is a new story called The Undying Soldier Number One, which is actually the continuation of that first graphic novel. So, yeah. Okay, so 
uh, I'm trying to get it in my head where, where the scheme of things this goes. Um, it's you, you said this is the third one. You've done two. Is it in between the first two, or is it? After? No. So this one, this one is the furthest along in the story. Okay. So this is. Um, so this is the true continuation. Oh, good. The first one was sort of a zero issue, and it was sort of we were trying. We we're sort of trying out the concept of doing a single issue, which was successful. People liked it. People really like that issue, and so what we're what I'm doing from now on, at least for the time being, is continuing the story one issue at a time, rather than in, as a full graphic novel each time. Hmm. And that way, I can put out more issues faster, more story faster. Mm-hmm. Whereas the graphic novel ended up taking a long time to make, and so yeah, I mean, I'm excited about it. There, there's a lot going on in this story and uh and it's continuing the story and i think it's the best a small favor has ever been oh really what i enjoyed what i read you gave uh, you made some um, material available to me and i got to sit and read it and i i liked it it's, it's a very strong continuation of the story which is really great and i, I i'm just kind of, i'm fascinated though you're most people go the other direction you know most people do a um a single issue, and then they get to the the thing to know. Well, see, on the other hand, there's a, there was a used to be a long time ago a company called Future Comics, and it was all graphic novels is all they did. But when they mm-hmm. tried to sell them into like uh, Walden Books and stuff like that, a lot of people wouldn't buy them because they didn't know who it was, who these characters mm-hmm. were, or anything. So they ran into trouble with that. So I mean, see, you've got a fan base that you've built by doing things the way that you have. Which is right. really cool, and see, so you can do that kind of thing, but yeah, most people go the other direction. They'll do individual <laughs> issues, so that's an interesting way to go. Something a little different. Well, to be honest, I think that doing the whole graphic novel at once, right out the bat, was a little bit of a misstep. Mm-hmm. Um, not in terms of the story, just in terms of uh, how long it took to make and stuff. So I think. If I could rewind the clock and do it again, I would have done that first graphic novel as individual issues and then collected it. Hmm. And so that's what I'm going to do going forward. At least if it, if it works out, if people continue to support it, there will be five issues in The Undying Soldier, um, which will then become the second trade paperback graphic novel in the series. Now, is this going to be... Um, are you going to kickstart the collected edition when that comes? I think so. If there's okay. support for it, mm-hmm. that's what we'll do. Probably in the end, after all of the issues have come out, we'll do a collected edition that probably has additional content in it. And the plan right now is actually not to really print a whole ton of copies of these single issues, mm-hmm. is to do relatively small print runs. For mm-hmm. the first two comics that we did mm-hmm. in the series, we printed a lot, and which is cool, but because we're planning on collecting this later, I don't want to print a whole ton past what is necessary for the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, because once I have the graphic novel, the collected edition, I figure that that's going to be what people will want. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to have, you know, a, a whole ton of these single issues lying around mm-hmm. that, that I won't be able to move. I've got to ask, I always think of these things when, when this stuff, and this may be getting ahead of the game, but have you ever thought of putting an entirely collected small favor volume with the first one with the stuff all in one book? Yes. Uh, so 
the plan I have written the whole story, which is three volumes, three graphic novels plus the zero issue that we did. And the plan in the end is to collect all of that, which would end up being like a 450 page comic into one omnibus. Mm. That would be the complete story Cool. Uh, in the very end. So that that's probably like best case scenario, three or four years down the line. Okay. Cause he, I like longer stories like that. I like to take a book and just kind of lose myself for a couple hours into it and just, you know, get into the story, get into the characters. Even if I've read it before, sometimes I can pick up things the second or third time through. So I really like that, that kind of thing. Now I got to ask, of course, and, and this is far away, so this may change, but have you thought about a hardcover or is this going to be a trade? Um, so that's, I think that that big collected edition will be a hardcover mm. um, because that will be like the authoritative complete edition of the whole book. Um, for right now, I think the books are, the, the single issues will obviously be floppies and then the, the, the trades will, will be um, also paperback. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, what we, that's what we did in the past. I mean, the first volume is a paperback, and so I want to be consistent as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. Now, do you know when the, the, the first issue will be complete? Yeah, so the issue is about a little over halfway complete mm-hmm. as of right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we are using the Kickstarter. That The main purpose of the Kickstarter is to fund the rest of the art. Um, and the teams are already all in place. Um, and so the book will should be done by early next year or so, uh, January or February. On the Kickstarter, I have the delivery date as um, Mar- or April. I have the delivery date as April just to give plenty of time, but I expect that it will be in everybody's hands before then. That's the old Scotty way of being a miracle worker. He would uh, he would make it sound like it was way out and he couldn't, couldn't possibly <laughs> do it. And then he would come in and do it way earlier, do things a lot easier than, than he had estimated it would be. And then and he told uh, Jordy one time in Next Generation, that's why I maintain my reputation as a miracle worker. <laughs> he said so it's good actually to give yourself a little extra time because you know reality gets in the way of comics sometimes and absolutely you, know, you gotta be yeah, ready. And for sure and I like so I, I think that that's the more kickstarters I do the more I realize that's important is to overestimate um, how long it's gonna take and so hopefully it will be done much before that the art the art should be uh, done um, you know, early next year, and then we'll go to print as soon as we can. So, um, so we're estimating April should be done before then. Okay, well that's good. That'll be kind of a good thing. I always think of these things and try to figure out how it's going to work in the market. You know, because I, I always think books are great when they come out around the holidays. Because mm-hmm. people can buy them and give them as gifts and stuff. Especially something like this, that you, you're probably not going to find in many stores. No, no. So this is something to give to somebody that uh, is into science fiction and they don't have this book. That's something to give them that's brand new and kind of fresh for them. So that's right. a good thing. Well, but you know what? It, uh, well, maybe we should ask then. If, in, in your schedule, the way you're thinking things now, and of course that could change, are you planning to have all these issues done by the end of next year? Well, 
maybe. So the plan is to do a Kickstarter for every issue, but I have to wait until each one is delivered before I can launch the next one. Um, just because I think that if you backed the first one and then I launch the second one, you're not necessarily going to back me with confidence until you've read the first one. Right. Right. Um, and so there are some limitations in terms of that. I think that probably logistically we like best case scenario will be on like issue four by the end of next year. Okay. Well, that's, um, pretty, that's pretty far along. Yeah. So my plan is to launch them, the issues as quickly as I can. Mm-hmm. So like as soon as, you know, if you back this one, issue number one, as soon as you've got it in your hands, like probably within a month, you'll be seeing the next Kickstarter launch. Okay. Well, I'll be good because you want to keep the, the process going and progress happening, right. which is a good thing for that. Now, uh, I've, I've got to ask some of the stuff because I think not everybody listens to every episode. And you've, you've been on a couple of times, and I, I've always appreciated that. It's great talking with you. What is a small favor about? Maybe we should get into that. So right. If people don't right. know what, what this is, we they should know. Right. Okay. So a small favor is the story basically of a Civil War soldier who became immortal um, and never found out exactly why he became immortal. And the story takes place a thousand years later. Hmm. Um, so he's traveling the stars with his AI companion, Liz, who is represented as a floating yellow head. Um, and the two of them are sort of going on adventures in space, but the main thing that they're doing is trying to find the mysterious old man who gave James, the main character, his immortality, Hmm. um, all the way back in the civil war. And in the process of doing that, they meet new friends, they encounter, they like get in the middle of massive galactic alien battles and they, um, they are sort of unraveling this ancient galactic mystery that goes back hundreds of thousands of years. Hmm. It's really interesting because I really like to, I, I, I always pride myself with that. I managed to get one of those early copies when you were at uh, Tampa Bay Comic-Con, I think it was. Right. And I, I was there and you were running out and I managed to get over there before you ran out and got one of them. <laughs> so I still have it and I'm really happy with it because it's really nice to have something like that. Because I think as this continues to grow and you continue to tell more story, I think you're going to continue to add to your fan base. You're going to continue to get people who are going to want to know how things got started and things like that. So I think that's a, you know, you're off to a good start with this. I really think that the, uh, and the way you're doing it too is really fascinating to me because you use a variety of artists, as I remember. Uh, yep. Books. And is that going to, as I noticed, because I, I didn't get to see, I saw some of the pages, and the art styles are a little different depending on the part of the, the issue. So, yes, that does continue. This, I would say that this new storyline focuses more on what we call, as I'm writing it, I call it the modern day storyline, but that what that means is the year 2811 in the distant future. Mm-hmm. Um it, this volume focuses more on that, but it still features flashbacks to different time periods. And, of course, the one of the other big things about A Small Favor is that every time period that we see mm-hmm. is drawn by a different artist. Mm-hmm. So in this issue, there are some really tiny flashbacks mm-hmm. drawn by four different artists, including Daryl Toe, who draws a Titanic scene. Mm-hmm. Um, then I have Craig Florence, who 
is trying a scene on the Hindenburg. So th- this this uh, issue, actually, I went with some some big historical callbacks, which is not something I've really done before. Mm-hmm. But um, but I thought that would be kind of fun. Um, and then Luca Bulgaroni um, is also drawing another uh, historical scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- those are very quick, short scenes. Unlike in previous stories, we've done long, big flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, the main art, as always, is drawn by Noah Meese, um, who has been the artist on A Small Fair from the very beginning. But this um, issue, we actually have a new colorist coming on because our, our previous colorist um, couldn't um, make the time for, for this um, volume. So instead, we have actually Walter Osley yeah. on color. Um, and of course, you know Walter Osley. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the artist on Metal Shark Bro and Shiver Bureau and a bunch of other really cool stuff. And he has done a really amazing job so far on the colors on this book. Um, and then we have a new letterer, which is uh, Dave Lentz, who is someone who um, has been doing design and lettering in the comic book world for a long time, but he worked on modern mythology. And so, mm-hmm. uh, so I wanted to bring him on. So the, uh, but then we also do have a, a backup story in this issue. So there's the main story, which starts the, the arc of the, of the new volume. But then we have the story of how James first met Liz, who's the AI. Mm-hmm. So that is a story I'm really excited about, especially because it's drawn by Hoyt Silva, mm. who is a friend of mine. And he's like a, a really cool artist. He did a book um, that's being published by Scout Comics called Last Stop. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which is phenomenal, and uh, and he's bringing that that flair and uh, to the to the new story, and so um, people who are listening can check out a preview of that story on the Kickstarter, um, which is really cool. And then we have another artist uh, who's who's not who doesn't have pages in the story, but is doing the covers now, and he'll be doing the covers for every issue in this volume. Uh, that's Jonathan Fisher. So the cover that's on the Kickstarter is. Um, is by Jonathan Fisher. And he also worked on modern mythology. So modern mythology was really cool because I ended up meeting a bunch of new art friends who are, who I roped into, <laughs> into working on small things. That's good. Well, that's a good kind of good thing about that is that as you do these different things, you probably run into people who do a, you know, things the way that you would like to see them done in another project. And so it, that comes together. Nice. I have to. I do want to bring out because you mentioned Walter, and I always, uh, you know, he does some really interesting stuff. He's done covers for all different kinds of projects and stuff as well. Shiver Bureau, I always remember, stood out to me because of the way he did the colors. He, he yes. did color things really differently, and there's lots of blues and and like greens. And and stuff like that. It was in London, which as I interviewed him once. He said he'd never been there when he was doing that. <laughs> but he, he had the blues and the greens were really kind of an interesting. And he did other other oranges, orange reds kinds of combinations and stuff. But it really gave it this almost an otherworldly feel to it, the way that was. And yet at the same time, it was it felt felt kind of like London, although I've never been there either. But to to me, it felt it it felt appropriate for the story. The way that he did it, right? So actually, Shiver Bureau is the reason that I wanted Walter on the colors because of that. He has this this semi desaturated color palette where, depending on the scene, one color is really dominant. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily mono 
uh, chromatic, but it, it but it's like very dominated by one color. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the concept for this new volume is that depending on the each issue really focuses on one character. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've assigned a different color to each character. Mm-hmm. Liz is yellow. Mm-hmm. And so this first issue, you're going to see a lot of yellow and Walter is coloring it in that very like almost monochromatic way where he's using a very yellow color palette for this next, for this first issue. The next issue um, will be focused on another character. Um, uh, and then the next issue, there's a, one issue in the, in the uh, volume that's going to be focused on Crydre, the little alien boy. Mm-hmm. And so that issue will be very blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and so I'm really excited about that. I think it's I think in the same way that when you're watching a movie, like a superhero movie, and a character comes on screen, and like that character's theme song starts mm-hmm. to play, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's sort of how I'm envisioning it. Like there's going to be these colors that are very heavily associated with certain characters. Mm-hmm. Now I got to see the cover, mm-hmm. which gets me. I I I I don't know if I want to ask stuff that's going to spoil things, but. <sighs> I'm not certain who that is on the cover because uh, we see a person that is like I don't know what exactly what's happening. There's like something's happening and there's a person in a spacesuit, but it's a skeleton in there. Okay, so the the thing about um, Jonathan when he draws um, covers is that he likes to sort of put illusions and like concepts rather than um, like literal um, literal interpretations of what's happening in the script. So first of all, this scene that's happening in the script um, where there, this, the, the shuttle is exploding mm-hmm. is an allusion to something that happens in the script, but it doesn't happen in exactly this way. Oh, um, okay. But he is like, this is a really dramatic, like exciting cover that makes you wonder like, you know, like what's happening now, the skull that is James. And hopefully um, the, the red, the red sash, the belt that he's wearing is James's iconic. um, That's his iconic uh, sash. That's, that's like a big character defining thing for him. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason that he's got a skull is because it's an, it's an allusion to like all the times that he has died. Oh, okay. Um, so basically James is immortal, mm-hmm. but he has, um, he can die, but then he comes back to life right away. Hmm. So okay. he's died a bunch of times mm-hmm. and then come back, um, and healed. Um, he sort of has like a turbocharged healing factor. Like a regeneration. Regeneration. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's supposed to be an illusion. And I, and I, I do realize that it might be a little bit confusing um to mm-hmm. see this script especially if you've never read a small favor before mm-hmm. um because you might be thinking that um this is some kind of a, a ghost or a uh, or like a skeleton character but mm-hmm. uh but it's not it's just a sort of artistic um mm-hmm. license that he took well, that's fine you know because honestly the thing that drives me nuts in comic books is when somebody takes the very last panel of the book and puts it on the cover Right. And I get to that place and I go, oh, I saw that already. <laughs> this, this is where the, everything ends. It's just kind of like a s- cyclical storytelling. Right. Like I'd much rather have something that's a little different and a little creative. It's kind of more fun for me to see that. 
Now, I do want to ask, though, it's called The Undying Soldier. Is that, that is James? No, actually. So, The Undying Soldier is the person that they're looking for. So, at the end of the last story, at the end of our, our um, graphic novel, The Ruins of Enkidu, mm-hmm. um, James and Liz discover that there is a soldier fighting in this big, galactic war so in the background of the whole story there's a big galactic war happening between this invading alien race and what's called the alliance which is just um sort of like uh the big government body that that um is like sort of in charge of the milky way Mm -hmm. and so there's this big galactic battle happening and they hear about this guy this soldier who can't die who's like become this war hero and he can't die and so they think that he might know something about the old man who also made James immortal mm-hmm. um, because, you know, this is another immortal person. So they're going to investigate and find him. So that's why they're charging headlong into a war zone to find the undying soldier. Um, so that's sort of like this whole volume is about them looking for him and that's another clue on the way toward the mystery they're trying to solve it's always interesting to me that this person started out like in the civil war and now is in outer space uh-huh. you know the, the old fish out of water thing that uh, <laughs> you know how can this person possibly un, you know know but, but of course he's lived long enough to be able to in, go through the transition so he probably has picked up things along the way but it's interesting to see somebody who has the roots back in the Civil War to deal with space issues. <laughs> right. And that's an interesting thing. I like that. So, um, and I, one of the interesting things that, uh, um, that we're not going to see as much in this issue, but as the volume goes on, um, there's a really big contrast between James, who is an immortal, and this new immortal character who is much younger, mm-hmm. but has also not hidden the fact that he's immortal. Hmm. James has spent his entire life hiding the fact that he's immortal from everyone around him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to be known as an immortal person. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's trying to fly, fly below the radar, whereas this new immortal person has embraced it and used it to become a war hero. Hmm. Um, and so there's kind of those differences in personality and, uh, and, and that whole process of discovery and how the two characters handle immortality. Mm. I mean, of course, we're assuming that the same situation happened to both of them which may or may not be true right so right so james and liz certainly think that the same thing happened to this guy Mm -hmm. and uh and that's going to be sort of the 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 story is uncovering what really happened to him and what he is and is he actually immortal Mm -hmm. it's interesting because you know of course the the notion that the person that made james immortal is himself immortal Mm-hmm. It's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, that's not necessarily true either. You know, so that's, I like all the, I like shades of gray <laughs> stuff. And that's what your books always have. This It leaves me guessing. Now, is that, is that, did this happen this way? Or is, it, is this really this the way it's supposed to be? I like it because I, I like to be, I, I the rug pulled out from under me at times, you know. And I, I think I, I've made all these assumptions and I get to a place to prove I was completely wrong about it. I love that kind of stuff because I, 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 you know where you're going and we can tell you know where you're going, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we know where you're going, which is, you know, a great fun right. thing in reading. Thank you. 
it's good fun stuff so okay so it's a small favor the undying soldier number one mm-hmm. it's on kickstarter yep. and it's, it's up and going right now as as this posts and it, are you going to make the previous materials available like as, as reward tiers and stuff like that for people who may not have uh, gotten a small favor before Absolutely. So we have a lot of stuff available. There's obviously just this first issue. Mm-hmm. Um, then you can get the previous, um, the graphic novel and the um, the zero issue. I'm also making the original graphic novel available as single issues. Mm-hmm. So Jonathan um, Fisher is actually doing covers for the single issues in volume one. Mm-hmm. So if you're so inclined, if you like single issues, we're doing a very small on-demand print run of those covers mm-hmm. as single issues. Um, that's available. Um, there's a variant cover for this comic for uh, The Undying Soldier number 1, drawn by Noah Meese. And then the other thing that um, I haven't talked publicly about a lot, but that I'm doing mm-hmm. with this um, Kickstarter is I've actually written a novella that takes place within the Small Favor um, universe. Hmm. Um, that's a prose novella and it's only going to be a digital book. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyone who backs the physical level of the comic will get it for free. Mm-hmm. And then there is a digital level that includes it. Um, mm-hmm. That's a story about James before he met Liz being, and it's a space story and it's a survival space story because he gets stranded in space without oxygen or food or means of communication. And he's floating in space um, but he's immortal, he can't die, so it mm-hmm. delves into sort of what happens to a person who can't die but is being exposed to the vacuum of space mm-hmm. uh, over time and, and, and how he's getting out of that situation. So it sort of merges like Andy Weir's The Martian mm-hmm. with um, with the book uh, mm-hmm. Between a Rock and a Hard Place, which was made into the movie starring James Franco, 127 Hours. Mm-hmm. So are, are, this yeah. is not going to be turned into a comic thing. This is always going to be a text story. Yeah, this is just a. It's a. It's a novella. It's a side story. It's not critical to the main story. Mm-hmm. Like it's not part of the mystery of his of of James's immortality. It's just a side uh, novella. Um, but I think that it expands the character in the world. Um, and it's just extra content, um, mm-hmm. adding extra value. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, that's what it is. I, I, I don't know. I've never seen someone else do that um, mm-hmm. in a Kickstarter, in a conflict Kickstarter. I don't know if people will be interested or not, but anyone who gets the physical copy will get it for free. So we'll see uh, what people's responses to it is and, and uh, whether or not that's something that, uh, that everyone is interested in, in seeing more of or not. Now, of course, the way that I, I met you was through, as we said, Tampa Bay Comic Con. Are you doing more cons this year? Or how, are you, you're probably out promoting this good thing as, as much as you can. Of course, it's hard to get as many of them in while you're doing a Kickstarter because you're right. busy, busy with the Kickstarter. But are you are you going to do more cons the rest of the year? Um, That's a good question. So I very recently went to a small con near my hometown uh, which was fun. And uh, last month, well, yeah, last month I went to Rose City Comic Con um, in Portland, Oregon, which was a lot of fun. But I do have to say, I'm 
I'm probably going to slow down on conventions a little bit going into next year. Mm-hmm. Not because I don't enjoy them, mm-hmm. but uh, but they're very exhausting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're very expensive. And now I ha- I went to a lot of cons this year, and I didn't lose money. I, I mean, I made money, but... Mm-hmm. But uh, and of course, I the more valuable thing is that I made a lot of connections. I made a lot of friends, mm-hmm. especially going to like Heroes Con. Mm-hmm. Um, I made a, I made a ton of new friends. I got to see a lot of old friends there, and that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a lot of time and money to spend going to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not going to stop. But I went to like ten this year, mm. and I think I'll do probably like three or four next year. Okay, because, yeah, because for us, you know, I'm followed with Stabity Bunny. We've been, we started out slow, and all of a sudden we've been going along. We've been to New York. We've been to a whole bunch of them. New York was probably the biggest one. Right. And it's it's just, honestly, I'm kind of looking at the end of the year and thinking, you know, once we get one or two more done, I think we're going to actually get some time off. <laughs> right. Well, they're they're so fun, but they are very exhausting. Um, and well, the other thing is that, um, I was really hoping this year that I would, for, for 2020, that I would get an Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle, especially now that I live in Washington state. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I did not get in, um, rats, which it's a very, it's one of the biggest cons in the country. It's very competitive. So I understand, but it is a little, that was a little bit of a blow. I was a little sad about that. And we were there not this year, but the year before. Uh-huh. And it's it's six levels in this building. I mean, you oh, know, yeah. it, there's a level that's for video games. There's a level for Artist Alley. And there's, I mean, you know, it was just amazing. You know, you go up these escalators, and there's this whole floor is filled with stuff. It it in some ways reminds me of Dragon Con, which I went to recently. Oh yeah, Dragon Con's kind of like that. Every floor could be another convention somewhere else. Right, just amazing stuff. But yeah, I, I hope you get in there because I really enjoyed it. I want to go back there. Is what I really want to do because I just oh yeah, Emerald Emerald City is great. Last year I went as a fan, mm-hmm. um, and I had a lot of fun. I you know I saw a lot of comic book friends and and met some new people there and mm-hmm. and everything. Um, and uh, and that's always one of it's always been one of my favorite shows. But it is. Um, it, it seems that living closer to the show did not did not influence my my chances of getting in. Right. Uh, but uh, hopefully hopefully someday I'll get in there. And Rose City um, in Portland uh, that was a, that was a pretty big show, not as big as Emerald City, but it, that was very fun. I mm. I really liked that one. Mm. I haven't been to uh, that one. It's uh, it's good, and and you know Portland is kind of like this mecca of indie comics in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of like Greg Rucka was there, of course, because he lives in Portland and they actually showed the first episode of Stumptown, um, oh. which of course is based on his comic book right um, ahead of its official release at that convention. So that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, ah, great stuff. Yeah. Well, hope it'll happen for you. Cause I, I think that would be a great place for you to, to, I have. I'll tell you a quick story about Emerald City, and then I'll, I'll move on to. I've got a couple other questions. The, we were there, and right at the, it was right at the beginning of the time when Stabity Bunny was kind of taking off, and we happened to be going. We were at a CGC booth. They were they put Richard up in there, and we I would kind of help him with stuff. And then we went up to the Artist Alley floor. Somebody needed 
Richard to sign some stuff. As we're sitting in the artist alley and he's signing, some guy comes by and says, wait a minute, is that Stabity Bunny? Oh my <laughs> gosh, I need copies of that. And I was kind of like, we didn't have a, you know, normally we have a banner up. We do all kinds of little things to let people know what it is. All he saw was a comic on the on the booth and he was just like, oh my gosh, I got to have copies of that. <laughs> and see, that's, that's one of the things that I really like is when you go to a place like that and they're so aware of what's happening in the industry. Oh, yeah. That they see stuff like that. I mean, that's that's just going to be, you know, for you, I think that's going to be a great experience when you get to there. I'm sure it'll happen. So it's going to be great. For sure. Well, I mean, just a a little aside about about Comic-Cons. What was interesting is I moved to the Northwest, and I had done the first, like, eight cons that I had done were all down in in, uh, the southeast, down in the Florida, like, Georgia area. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I had got, I had started getting to the point where people would recognize me. They had mm-hmm. seen me at other cons and read my book. And then I went to the Northwest and all, and, and like, in, in some ways it was cool because there's a brand new audience, mm-hmm. but I was, I was suddenly like the new kid on the block. Like mm-hmm. nobody knew who I was mm-hmm. <laughs> You're back to square one again right? to do that. Well, you know, the good news is now you got two places that know who you are, two locales. Right. You know, you could build onto that as you go along. So it's going to be good stuff. I can't wait to... I, I got a chance to read the script, which I really enjoyed for the first issue. Mm-hmm. And honestly, with the, the artwork that you made available to me, just a, a couple of the pages, my imagination took over and I was seeing, based on those pages, how a lot of the script would come to pass. So I'm really looking forward to to seeing this here, so I'll be, I'll be definitely uh, pledging and supporting because I I want to see more of this good stuff. It's really terrific stuff. Thank you. Now I've got to ask, of course, is this going to keep you busy for a while? If you're going to do individual issues and they're going to come out sort of occasionally, you're going to have to go through the whole process. Are there other things you're going to do? You you said you wrote that uh, text story. Are there uh, other things? Yeah, so there are other things. Um, okay. So the the big thing that's i have i have a few like i mean i'm sure as you know like any creative person always has like different projects at at a bunch of different points of development right Mm -hmm. because you've got whatever's happening right now and then you've got the next thing and then you've got something where that you're holding in reserve for sometime in the future and, and so on and so forth but i do have another series that i'll be launching next year um that I'm also planning on doing single issues with. It's with Daryl Toe, who is um, who did a, a couple things for this mm-hmm. um, story, and he did something for Modern Mythology. But he is going to be the main artist on a fantasy series that I wrote that will be starting next year um, on Kickstarter. And depending on what kind of reception that gets, I might be doing... Uh, a single issue is going along with that one as well. Um, it's it's a little it's interesting because a small favor at this point I've been doing for a while, and like you said, I have built up a little bit of a a fan base, mm-hmm. and so I'm interested to see now how that will translate into a brand new series, um, something that's completely unrelated, is very very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the new series is very much like a, a fairy tale, and I don't want to—I don't want to say too much about it now. Um, but um, later this year and early mm-hmm. next year, we'll be starting to do some promotion for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I—I I was looking at what I think your website is. I think it's CalebPalmquist.com, and there's something on there at the very beginning, and it talks about five valid occupations 
in in this world, which is kind of identified as Starless Dark on there. And I don't know. Oh. I, I got a huge kick out of it because I'm I'm reading this stuff and I'm going like I got a huge I have to say I really like the the different ones involved. They you list five and then you list another set of five. So this is uh this is a t- so what <laughs> yes calebomquist.com is me okay. it's a it's a tumblr blog i have not updated it uh for a while and that's a that that is a um a post that i reblogged that i shared from somebody else it is a funny post about uh about uh about different sort of uh tropes in 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 fiction um I like uh, the five I valid it. occupations. Jaded, who's a wash-up private detective. There's a master thief. There's a cowboy. There's a feral mad scientist. How that happens is something to find out. And a polar explorer overdosing on hubris. <laughs> now, you see, I, I want to know more about that. <laughs> that that's kind of wild stuff. So I, I, it's going to be funny to see. Well, you always have a lot of good imagination in this stuff. And you always have a lot of great characters that we get to care about right away. And I'm just always interested to see what you're going to do with them. So it's great, Thank great you. stuff. So it's uh, the Kickstarter is on. It's a small favor. And tell me what the the sub is again. The The what now? Tell me, it's uh, it's a small favor. The Undying Soldier Number One. Uh-huh. That's what it was. It slipped my memory for a second. Oh, right, the subtitle, right? Yep. Yeah, that's so. That's that's now on Kickstarter. Yep. Get there and be sure to support because we want to see more of these good things. And you know, Caleb, I, I wish you continued success because I'm really happy that Modern Mythology happened, and and I'm looking forward to seeing that too. So there's all kinds of good stuff you're doing. And I just think that uh, you've got a bright future as far as like comic creation goes, because you work well with others, and you bring a really great team together to make a great comic. I think. Thank you. And uh, modern mythology, by the way, is um, going to print um, really soon. Um, at the time that this is coming out, um, I, um, it should be either either already gone to print or going to print very, very soon. And uh, with any luck, as long as there are no delays with the printing and shipping process, mm-hmm. they, I, I should be starting to fulfill that and sending it out to backers by the end of the year. Oh, cool. Um, are you going to do a modern mythology too? That's a good question. <laughs> uh, I think it depends. Like, modern mythology was a very different project for me because it was... I was more of an editor. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a small story in it, but for the most part, I was just managing this whole collection of stories by a bunch of different people and editing the whole book and running the Kickstarter and stuff. So it was a much more like sort of managerial role. And it was really fun to do, but it was also a lot of work. Um, and it was scary raising that much money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, so I, the, the answer is I would like to, but I'm not sure when it will happen. Okay. Well, you've got um, small favor and other things going on too. So, right. Well, we'll see how it does. Do you ever get your books like in stores or like on Amazon or, or um, Comicsology or that kind of stuff? Because it, it needs a wider distribution. I mean, Kickstarter is a great place to do stuff, but I think your books could sell if you got a, out in other places too. I agree, and it's something that. I need to push harder. I did have it on Amazon for a while, and uh, I tried to run 
some ads and do some other stuff, and it really wasn't hmm. selling. You can buy it on my website online, and I've gotten a few sales that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the And it's available digitally. I do need to get it on Comixology. I think that is potentially a good place. I So that's a really good question because right really – the majority of my sales are Kickstarter and comic cons. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. now this new series that I'm launching next year, I am going to aggressively pitch to publishers. Mm. Um, I think a small favor is really weird and I don't know that it's super publisher friendly. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I like it um, a lot of course. And mm-hmm. if there was a, if there was a publisher that, that was offering me a deal that I thought was good, I would, mm-hmm. Take it, but I. But this new series, I'm actually designing to be pitched to publishers. Mm. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, we'll have to find out about that. Well, you know, I'll have to talk when that starts to percolate a little more. We can we can actually discuss it. So right, that'll be good stuff. Well, Caleb, you know, continued success because I know you've had a lot of good success with with stuff in Kickstarter and at cons and stuff like that. I can't wait to Thank see you. how a small favor continues and moves forward. Because it is different than what I, uh, than other stuff I've read, and I always like different. I like variety, so you know I, you. I really enjoy it. And I think that uh, you, I know there's other good stories percolating that you you're going to get to, and we'll just have to hang on and go along for the ride until that those things start to come up. So I I will say as as one final note, I have talked about some other projects that I'm doing here today, but. A small favor is not ending. A small favor is continuing. A small favor is my baby. I love it, and like. I will continue to do a small favor as long as people want to support it because it is, um, like you said, it's very unique. I think there's nothing quite like it out there right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so as long as there's that support, I, I plan to aggressively continue to, to put that out there. Well, I think you're going to be doing it for a long time if we're lucky. <laughs> Thank so you, Brad. Be good. So we'll keep it up and uh, we'll talk with you again sometime soon, I'm sure. Yep. Sounds good. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, from flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. It's time to check up on Sam Johnson and the Geek Girl and other creations universe that he's made. How you doing, Sam? I'm all right, Wayne. How are you? Good, good. Uh, why don't you talk about what's going on? I think Geek Girl number five is now available. Uh, how's that going? Uh, yeah, well, it's 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 just come out, so I haven't had uh, too much feedback yet. But uh, what it is is uh, the new direction uh, Geek Girl became ongoing during the course of the the last Kickstarters. We built the audience up enough to justify it being ongoing, and what that's given me the opportunity to do is I had a lot of weird and wonderful ideas that. Uh, 
influenced, inspired by Grant Morrison's run on Doom Patrol that I've kind of had in the, the can wanting to bring to my comics for some time. Uh, but they needed a, a, a an ongoing vehicle to do them justice. Uh, and that's it. So what's they're going to kick in because Geek Girl's hitting on a new direction. She's been offered the chance to become part of a new super team. And uh, Johnny Carlisle is the man behind it who was introduced in the last arc. And uh, what was going on with him was he was a bit of a morally dubious character. Neon Girl, the the, uh, the uh, big superhero of Maine where, where Ruby lives, uh, kind of suspected him of contributing to the, the crime way that was going on by indiscriminately providing, allegedly indiscriminately providing super tech weapons to any comers. And uh, he had a bit of a wake-up call, and he's now decided, whether he did that or not, he's now decided he wants to do some good, uh, ostensibly at least. <laughs> and uh, so he's, he's putting together a super team, and, and Geek Girl's popularity is a good kind of hook for him to hang that on. Mm-hmm. So he's set up what he calls the K Foundation, named after Ruby K. Uh, they've kind of rebuilt some of the super uh, the, the police stations that got trashed in the original miniseries by Lightning Storm, the big bad of that series, which kind of facilitated the crime wave in the first place because she left Maine's law enforcement undermanned. So they've they've built these rebuilt these police stations and then as as they uh, sort of reopen one of these they announce this super team. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get too far, let, let's discuss who Geek Girl is. Why don't you give us a description of who Geek Girl is and how she got to this point? So, Geek Girl is Ruby Kay, a hot, popular college chick who landed a pair of super glasses on a drunken whim, overhearing her college's resident brainiac talking about them. She and her not particularly nice friend Stacy got. Uh, Trevor is the name of the Brainiac guy and his friend Drunk. Uh, beat them again at strip poker to win them. Took advantage of the horny geeks, basically, to, to win these glasses. She kind of fell in to become a superhero. Her best friend Summer kind of pushed her into it. Summer's into that kind of thing more than Ruby would naturally be. She uh, She's grown. She's become something of a hero. She's moved, developed out of her sort of shallow it girl origins and has, has stepped up and as she took down lightning storm she's she's proven herself in, in in stemming the crime wave that followed and here she has been offered this chance to head a super team mm-hmm. now why don't you tell people how people get a hold of the book because people criticize me because i wait until the end to t- tell these things why don't you tell us if somebody wants to get geek girl uh, the current one number five or previous ones where do they go so geekgirlcomics.com uh, is the only thing you need to go to, really. That will link you to various places you can get it, whether that's digital or physical. And also at geekgirlcomics.com, uh, at the top left bar, there's a join the mail list thing. So if you want to get a, pre- a free digital preview comic before uh, diving into the actual book, hit that, join the mail list, and you'll get sent that. So, yeah, geekgirlcomics.com is the only place you really need to go, and it'll take you where you need to from there. Well, I've got to ask, of course, because you have Marcosia's logo on the, uh, on the cover number five. Are they doing any distribution stuff? What's their relationship to what's going on with Geek Girl? Yeah, I mean, Marcosia's main thing is, is the trades. Okay. So they facilitate that going to a number of places, Amazon being the the big one. Mm. So 
they put out the digital. The digital editions are put out through them, uh, Comicsology, Drive Through Comics. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of their 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 bigger involvement comes in when we do the collections, which for anyone that's that's followed me for a while knows I I, I put up on Kickstarter for pre-release when we get to that point. But uh, as it stands, it's kind of more in my hands because it's the first issue of the new arc, the the jump on issue, and. Uh, when, when the, the four issues that this comprises get collected once they've been done, that'll be where Marcosia plays a bigger role. Okay, it'd be great. Is that America, uh, American available, or is that how's that? Does Marcosia do oh, that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I say, it goes to various sites, uh, bookshop sites and so forth. But again, the most accessible is, is Amazon. So Amazon.com, uh, if you search geek-girl, both volumes are on there. So Lightning Strikes being the first one, Crime War the second. So uh, it's, a good, it's a good outlet to have it, obviously, because pretty much everyone uses Amazon. If you've got Prime, you get a free delivery. You can have Amazon deliver it by one of their drones. One of their drones, if, if you're lucky. And if you're lucky, someone's there to let them in. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. That would be great. You'll have to have a Geek Girl drone at some point to delivering that stuff. Well, that's, yeah, that's next level, that. Yeah. So okay. So number five, uh, we reached the point where you, that you're talking about. There's a super team starting to happen. This, what I liked about number five, and I don't want to spoil too much here or spoil anything if we can help it, is there's a, several storylines going on in this book that I really like. There's a whole bunch of different characters. There's some people who are coming to join the group. There's, of course, uh, uh, Summer and Geek Girl are there. They go to check out the headquarters, I think, is one of the things that they do, which is kind of fun. And I, I really, you know, because I, I talk about this, I mean, because, you know, Geek Girl has always kind of had a certain group of characters. And now you're branching off into other areas. Uh, talk about the, 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 the interest in making new characters and, and bringing other people involved in this. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the issue... Is, which which is kind of a standalone issue, despite it, you know being part of a larger art that will follow. It's called Scores Out because what happened when Lightning Storm was taken down by Geek Girl? Geek Girl got electrocuted by in the process and ended up in a coma. Now Ruby came back from that during the the Crime War up, but uh, she wasn't really that keen on the idea of going back to putting the tights and capes on. She was, you know, kind of, she had a very terrifying experience. She nearly died. Uh, but her parents have been tapped out on medical bills uh, as a result of the kind of thing. And when this opportunity has arisen at the end of the Crime War up to join the super team, it's, you know, it's a paying gig. Mm. So she gets to, she views it as, she can get some money from that, do this as a temporary thing, and then go back to retaking uh, what she missed at college. So that's her motivation. But we have other people coming into the fold, as you've said. So we've got Johnny Carlisle has put together a team of four, one of which, uh, one of them doesn't appear in this issue, but was introduced in the crime of art called Tyler, who's a, a telepath slash telekinetic. Mm. Uh, that that um, Johnny Carlisle kind of facilitated going undercover in the League of Larcenists that they were up against to help bring them down from within. So he had the idea of putting putting these two together, and then we've got new guys coming into it. There's a flight that coincidentally has two of these on it. Um, the Whipper, who it seems like a, some sort of arrogant uh, 
character he's, he's we introduced him next to a girl that likes to talk about our exes a lot and he's clearly you know left the building mentally when when she's uh, banging on about this and then we've got uh, mark darden's characters guano guy and mr marvelous man now mr marvelous man is there as a sort of escort for guano guy because guano guy's fairly hopeless but for uh, reasons best known to Johnny Carlisle, he has been invited to join this team. So they're on the flight. Mr. Marlis and I'm purely there to sort of check things out. And, uh, yeah, the, in terms of the checking things out, this HQ has hidden uh, stuff going on to it. If you play, pay close attention, there's uh, the scene uh, where um, Ruby she uses a swipe card to get into it, which when her and Summer are going to check it out, they didn't realize it opens this portal. Now, if you pay close attention to that scene, the portal is actually open a place not just to where they enter the HQ, but somewhere else as well. So there's hidden stuff going on to come in that. Um, so we've got all that going on. And then the kickoff of the uh, the issue sees a, a guy we, have, we haven't met before called Jacob, who uh, is into some sort of occult thing. Is The opening thing is he, he seems to, he's got some sort of sig on his bathroom mirror and he's, he's trying to talk through that to someone that's seemingly is, is in another dimension mm. mm-hmm. so this is a lot of different characters are we going to see less of uh, the previous people you know uh, uh, their friends and stuff like that when you say school's out I kind of fear like that, that they moved into a different era and that sometimes means you leave some of your friends behind. Are we going to see less of the, the clique that, that, uh, that Geek Girl used to hang around with? Well, they uh, the, the, the clique who basically, when we're introduced to Ruby's powers, didn't really buy it, just thought she was being super klutzy and distanced themselves from her, mm-hmm. who then resurfaced. So she was Ruby was pretty much left with Summer as, as mm-hmm. a friend. But then when Ruby saved the city, these reappeared and wanted to be part of it because Ruby is now popular and cool, and that's what they like to be a part of. So, uh, yeah, they're not in this issue, but they are very much in the arc. Uh, the, um, the story, a two-part story within this, what will be four-part arc that will follow them, sees, uh, we'll see Ruby and Summer and one of, her new, one of Ruby's new teammates go to a club where they meet the girls, and, uh, yes, the whole Mean Girls meets superhero thing will still very much be a part of what's going on without giving too much of the way about what's going to be on this show. Mm-hmm. That's going to be fun because I, I, I kind of like them. They're, they're crazy. So yeah, like they're, they're, they're horrible people. <laughs> yeah. They're not. They're on different. They're on sliding scale of horrible. Uh, there's there's Caitlin who's actually nice, but she's kind of on the on the fringes and doesn't appear too much. And then you've got Jennifer, Stacy, Stacy being the one that helped Geek Girl, you know, through dubious means land the glasses in the first place. And then Karen, who's the arch, uh, the arch nemesis if you will but now seemingly wants to be ruby's best friend again so it will be interesting to see where things go with them the problem with their their relationship with ruby and summer is it's it's very very flimsy and hanging on a superficial hook so when summer filled in briefly as geek girl to help ruby out they perceived it as it just been trying to cash in on it which wasn't summer's intention at all and they froze her out like they froze ruby out but now everyone's kind of back together but you know you don't forget the way you've you've been treated by your 
quote-unquote friends. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see how that develops as, as, as time goes along. I, 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 you and I have talked before about how summer plays a role. I like summer. She's probably the one that's most like like my perspective on things. She understands heroism and comics and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And she was actually Geek Girl for a time and then gave it back to uh, the real Geek Girl. I'm just always puzzled as to what you're going to do with her. She appears in this issue. She has a, She's kind of... Well, she's she's friends with uh, uh, Geek Girl, and that kind of opens the door for her to go and do different things. I'm just curious as to what she's going to do, or about what you're going to do with the character, because I like her a lot. Yeah. So when when Ruby, as we say, goes to check out her HQ, Summer's tagging along with her because you know Summer is loves the everything superhero. Um, Ruby flies are there, which is excited about. She's very wide out, wide eyed about everything that's going on. So you know they're, they're best friends. They you know Summer proved herself a hero and and proved how much Ruby means to her in in the arc. Uh, and as I say, Summer's kind of more into it than than Ruby is the whole superhero thing. However, wasn't very good at being a superhero. Uh, didn't do too well as Geek Girl, and it was already it was always only intended to be a fill-in job anyway. But she wants to be part of this life and. Um, Without things running, I, I, I kind of like to keep things running in, a, in an unconventional direction. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, I will say that we haven't seen the last of Summer in the Geek Girl costume. Oh, okay. That I haven't heard before. I knew she was going to be around, but we weren't exactly sure. Okay. Oh, yeah, this is this is all new. We, you know, we're hinting beyond issue five here now, because I've been, you know, plotted out issues uh, six through eight. Uh, work is already underway on issue six, and uh, yes, now. But I keep in mind unconventional with what I said we got in that. Okay, because now I'm puzzling over how that happens. I have to, you know, of course, you got to keep reading in order to get up with, uh, keep up with these good things. So I, I just I, now I'm, I've got to know what happens because I like her. Yeah, thought, no, I, she, she was very. I mean, despite not being, not having the propensity for, for the role of a superhero that, that Ruby does. She was very endearing in that role. Mm-hmm. Um, she really wanted to, to be good and she, she did the best she could. And, and, and ultimately in, in the third issue of, of the crime war arc where summer no longer is geek girl, no longer has the powers that come from the glasses is when she actually proves herself to be her most heroic. Hmm. Interesting. Now what about the guy who was, who had a shine on Summer, uh, the superhero guy. Uh, what the fuck is this? You say this every time. <laughs> like, I miss it every time. What's his name? Pitbull. Pitbull, that's right, that's right. He was, he was just mentoring her. It was, it was, you know, it was kind of a, a fatherly thing. I know, I know you've, you've said before that you felt that there was something there, but uh-huh. not that I'm aware of. Okay. So, okay. Um, yeah, but Pitbull, you know, this is a universe we're playing in here. These characters are still around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the the villains that have, have come up previously, Lightning Storm, don't, you know, think that she's necessarily completely out of the picture. The League of Larsonists, uh, headed by Pighead, who I know you enjoyed as well, the, you know, the head was brain fused to a pigs and half a head to match. Uh, the League of Larson has got taken down at the end of the Crime War arc. However, two of them escaped, 
And, you know, even Pighead, who, who did get defeated, I wouldn't think we've necessarily seen the last of either. Mm-hmm. That Pighead business still bothers me, I have to I'm say. <laughs> it still gets me because this guy that has his human head fused with the Pighead. Now, granted, some people, we probably wouldn't notice the difference. But that whole thing just is creepy to me. So yeah. that's, you, you, you hit a, a note with me that makes me go, ooh, every time I see him, I... And of well, course, it's, it, I like the way his dialogue's always in like reverse text. Yeah. Black background with the white text. It's uh, the way other people are the opposite to that. So I like yeah. that about that. So this is all nicely put together. Now, you mentioned there's some new folks involved and stuff. What could you tell us? I mean, we don't want to spoil the book, but what can you tell us about what goes on in number five, what we might see coming? So, I mean, I think I've managed to stay clear of well i have stayed clear of spoilers and i don't know how much more there is i can say we haven't mentioned another uh of ruby's with me teammates the minger who uh when summer and ruby arrive at the hq she's uh she's she's already got there and she's got uh she's got a metal helmet that covers most of her face uh, the minger for i don't know how familiar uh, that word is in america but in uh is it is it familiar in America? No. No. So the Minger in in in, in England is a, is a very derogatory name that you would use as someone that's really ugly. Mm. So why this lady has chosen to name herself that is uh, is perhaps an intriguing uh, element of her character. And uh, yeah, she's a little. She's a little defensive. She's a bit dubious about her teammates. Where they watch a video of, of them introducing themselves, and she's already decided she thinks Guano Guy is something of a tool, which, to be fair, he is. Uh, and how that came about as well with Guano Guy, Mark Darden, Mark Darden's character's Guano Guy, and uh, Mr. Marvelous Man making this this guest appearance was on kickstarter we did one of the rewards you could you could have you could appear in this plane scene so there's you and a friend or you and your partner would appear in this scene so we've got a, a girl and, and her best friend in there and, and, and a married couple so from real life they sent in references Carlos Grande, the artist drew the men and did a great job uh, and mark darden chose to have his characters uh, appear and uh, I thought we could we could do something with this, so we kind of uh, expanded that a little bit and uh, made them a bit more integral to it. And it's 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 a fun thing. I mean, one of the things I enjoy about comics is the crossover element. And uh, yeah, it's been a cool thing to do. And Mark, Mark, as as you've seen the credits, was involved in. I I I did the sort of basics of what their dialogue would be, but he he made it their voice. Uh, and so as directly involved with them so you're getting authentic for those of you that know guano guy uh you're getting authentic guano guy now, now of course these guys are in your book what about is geek gold might show up in a guano guy book that has, we haven't actually talked about that and also i'm not quite done with with these guys yet either so after i mean mark and i are talking about he's got a kick he's got a guano kickstarter coming up in about a month mm-hmm. uh so if you're not familiar with the character that's a good one to look out for uh so we're talking about doing some cross promotion and, and once uh they 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 kind of again i'm going to watch the spoilers but they will be in issue six and then after that that will kind of if anything more is to come 
with any type of crossover with us, it, it would follow that because this story isn't isn't done in the Geek Girl universe as of yet. Mm-hmm. Well, that's something because I, I I like those characters. I've seen the Guanagai books and stuff, so I was really surprised to see them in the comic. Which of course, you know, it made me want to ask you about those good things because I'm I'm always fascinated when you know team books are, are a staple in comics and so it gives people a chance to bounce off characters they might not normally do or get interactions so we're we're going to get to see sides of geek girl that we haven't seen before because she's not she's the leader of the group apparently so she's going to have to figure out who these people are and how they can work together that's going to be a real evolution for her character uh yeah you you, you'd you'd think that but i do like to keep things unpredictable Mm -hmm. so uh We'll see how it all plays out. So uh, I guess in issue six, we'll see some of the ones that we haven't seen in this book so far. Some of the people. Yeah, I mean, all the super team are present, uh, Mm. apart from Tyler, who's in the crime world arc. So that's Mm. that's the first appearance of Tyler. Mm. Uh, But, uh, yeah, everyone that's going to be in the super team is, is about, but there is another element going on there, an, an X factor at play in terms of from Johnny Carlisle's side, uh, wherein um, I'm, I'm already giving, I think, just about as much as I want to give away about the book, but we'll just allude to that there's a, a situation with him and his wife, mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, as I say, is a kind of an outside thing that may impact on his plans in terms of the superhero team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's going to be something to see, so because it's it's a really good story, really well developed characters. I, I, is the art team pretty much the same? It looks to me like it's the same as what you've had in the past. Oh yeah, Carl, Carlos has has been there through through both of the, the previous arts. Carlos, I mean every, everyone has been involved since pretty much the beginning. Uh, Chung and Zhao and uh, the colorist uh, Paul McLaren, the letter. Everyone's into it. Everyone's committed to it. So it's it's great to have the consistency and everything that they bring to it. I mean, particularly, I always reference with Carlos how how human he makes everyone, the facial expressions, the body language he. he he brings to it, which is a lot down to, you know, I'm not nailing all of this down in the script, so he's got yeah. to work with some rigid formula. It's he gets the characters and he, he brings those characters to life. So it's great to have, you know, that. I, I, mean, I couldn't do better. And as I say, it's great to have a team that everyone enjoy, enjoys doing it, is really into it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and continuing with it. So we've got that consistency as well. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's other characters that we haven't mentioned uh, that are involved in the book, and I won't, I won't go into that. But let's just say trouble is caused by some of these new people. Yes, I, I have mentioned, managed to not mention one particular character at all, which is good because I feel like I'm close to saying too much. But we, we won't do that. But yeah, there's also something as going back to at the beginning, this guy, this occult guy. There's, there's something, there's something brewing there. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting stuff. A lot again, I don't want to spoil stuff, but there's just when you think you've figured out what's going on, it doesn't go that way, which is what I really like. So there's really good writing and really good. I I love Carlos's use of faces. He yeah, does faces super well, which I really like. And there's just a lot of expression and stuff. But it's just such a good book. Number five is, and of course it continues on from where you've been before. Now. So, in other words, you've given the information now how to get a hold of the book. 
And now you said it's monthly. Uh, are you? No, in- no, 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 no. Okay. Ongoing. That's that's been confused before. In the world of uh, independent comics, putting out a monthly book is is not the easiest mm-hmm. thing in the world. So ongoing. Um, mm. What will follow after this issue is the next two will be on Kickstarter in mm. February. Yeah, sorry, when will the Kickstarter happen again? In February. So again, if you want to get the exact date, good thing to do. Join the Geek Girl mailing list. You'll get a, you'll get the date in advance because it's not not entirely uh, sorted yet. Other than it's going to be February, uh, and that will be for issues six and seven. Okay. And uh, yeah, things things are all set up here, and we're, I look forward to uh, continuing with with what we begin in this issue. Well, that's good. That's good stuff. We're going to ask out because monthly stuff is that's tough stuff. I oh, how in the world you could possibly do I mean, it? <laughs> the, the original miniseries was put out pretty much monthly, and uh, it's it's a financial it's a financial drain doing yeah. it doing oh, yeah. it that way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, like there's, there's more if it's a sort of direct arc like the first arc and the crime war arc i think it's kind of more necessary so you don't sort of lose the thread uh, for it to come out more regularly but as i say issue five though part of a larger arc is kind of contained uh and then issue six and seven will be a two-part thing within the, the football arc and then four will be another thing so it, it works to to do it like this uh and hopefully you're left uh waiting for those uh intrigued for those new issues after reading issue five well, it's going to be something to see because i always like super teams and i'm i'm always waiting for for whenever i talk to people who are creators i'm waiting for them to decide when they're going to do the team up thing because you know crossovers and team ups and all that stuff that's all great stuff and people love that pretty much so i'm glad you're doing that yeah no i mean it's 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 really fun I mean, and it's and it's also you, you don't really know quite how it's going to go until you put two characters together like mm-hmm. Pitbull and, and Summer as Geek Girl was a cool thing. And then Neon Girl, who's, who's generally, you know, as I say, she's the long-term resident superhero of Maine uh, before Geek Girl came along. And they developed a kind of chemistry as, as things progressed. And it was fun in the uh, in the final issue of the Crime War Arc, seeing them taking on the legal arsonist. They developed quite a good dynamic. And, and, and all stuff I'd like to, you know, see more of. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be good because it's it's a lot of fun. Now, I know that you do other good things. How are your other characters and projects going? Are they bubbling around right now? Um, uh, so the Almighty is the comedy super team created with Mike Daniel. Uh, same as before, developing slowly. Everyone's involved in other stuff. All of the roughs are done. Most of the artwork, finished artwork, is done. It's It's still... It's still carrying on, but it's it's a slow process with that. And the other thing is Carpuccini Voodoo Junkie Hitwoman, right. who previously appeared in uh, issues, Halloween issues of FX Anthology. But I don't know if I mentioned this last time I was on, is as part of the weirdness coming to Geek Girl, will be coming to the pages of Geek Girl. And then there's a mini series for her that's mostly done, but I wanted to introduce her into the pages of Geek Girl first. So again, getting a lot of stuff here about issue six, but uh, yeah, Cabra uh, also comes into the fray in issue six of Geek Girl. Hmm, okay. She's not going to join the group, is she? 
she's definitely not going to join the group. It's going to be a, and Carbaccini is the, the ex junkie slash prostitute who cleaned up her acts, but now is addicted to voodoo and is a supernatural hit woman for hire. Uh, her connection comes about, I'm just giving too much away. So that, that one, that'll be one for the Kickstarter, but yeah, Carver is, is a character I really enjoy writing. And, um, uh, her intro scene is, is quite a scenery chewing, uh, one, which I, I, I really like. And, uh, yeah, it should be another weird element coming as part of the weirdness coming to geek girls, new universe that she's now kind of falling into. Mm-hmm. I always have to bring up the fact how much I like the the women characters that you write. They they seem extremely real to me. And often, sometimes in comics, I find, as we've talked about before, that that women characters are some of the less believable ones. But you do them so well; they really breathe for me, and they just feel like you know vibrant, living characters. So I like that in your books. And even in number five, it's quite the same. Even the new ones are are very real to me. Yeah, thank you. I mean, in terms of Ruby and Summer, I hadn't actually properly thought about this till now, but I think one of the reasons they come across as real as they do is partly because of their dynamic, which feels, you know, you can tell how much they care about each other, love each other. But I think the fact that Ruby, while Summer is all superheroes without being a superhero, I think the fact that Ruby kind of isn't all in on it, I think that keeps her slightly grounded and, and as you know, almost a step removed from the sort of if we're what you know what we're used to in in superhero comics where they they're generally sort of all in. Um, she's you know as I say at this moment she's she's doing it because she wants to go back to college and be able to hang up the cape so I think her perspective uh, and the fact that you know we see her friends who are, who are not directly connected to the superhero world again the Mean Girls meets superheroes element I think gives it helps certainly with the, the sort of realness mm-hmm. What's really going to be interesting to me to see how the, the all this all comes together because it sounds like she looks at this more as a as a profession than and than a, than a, you know what we would those of us if, who were interested in these things we would look at it very differently we'd want to do it all the time if we could but she's it sounds like she's going to do things you know what needs to be done and then to get back to real life. That's, yeah, I mean, that's her intention. I mean, she had in, in the first arc, she she tried to sort of give it her all. But, you know, for a, a, a 21-year-old girl to get put in a coma as a result was, uh, no pun intended, a wake-up call when she came out of the coma, uh, that it's real, you know. We've had, you know, people have died and, and the lightning storm was a... a, a terrifying villain for her who did a lot of damage and and she you know she did defeat lightning storm but she only just came out of that so you know from a perspective of a girl who was studying um pr at college and that's what she was doing until she fell into this situation i think it's quite understandable her perspective is not that she's now i'm this woman of steel and i'm just going to go around kicking everyone's ass Mm -hmm. Uh, there's there's other things going on and that isn't you know again it's the place she comes from was quite a privileged um you know she was a popular girl 
and uh, lived a quite an easy lifestyle, a very easy lifestyle, really, that was, you know, was quite self-centered. She's evolved beyond that, but she's still, you know, that, that 21-year-old college student. Mm-hmm. Which is good. I mean, she's probably got a lot of room to grow, which is one of the great things about the characters in here. They they all develop. Where they are now is not where they started out when the book first began. So I love character growth. I love to see where people move, the dynamics and stuff. And I think you do a really good job of doing that and making people you know, real and, and also progressive in that sense. They, they move forward. Yeah, I mean, Ruby is, is a much more... Uh likable character well is is a is a hopefully a, a likable character period now whereas initially you know the way she, i mean she act, actually acknowledges in in when they're watching the video in um at the new hq where all the superheroes have, have done the would-be superheroes have done like their bits of camera introducing themselves she kind of like feels embarrassed now about how she got these powers to begin with and uh yeah she's she's definitely uh developed and it's it's it's, it's, it's something i enjoy is, is developing character arcs and, and that's going to be happening with carbaccini as well and uh yes yeah, some are trying to trying to find a way now and um johnny carlisle as well who who you know was certainly a, a man of seemingly dubious morals is now throwing himself into this super team situation which generally you think you'd be a good person if you're doing that but there's money involved so we'll see yep yep this is the money is the great equalizer of things we all discover who we are when money gets involved i think yeah so it's, really, so it's really good. Geek Girl number five, of course. If you haven't been reading it so far, I highly encourage you to get the, the past issues. And if you have been reading it, then I think Geek Girl number five is going to be a great transition into where she's going for the future. So it's a really, really good book. Really well done. So uh, why don't you once again tell people how to get a hold of it? Yep. So I mean, it's it's available in in regular digital limited variants. There's like Sun Kamaki who who did the cover for it. It's a fantastic artist, and there's a Virgin variant of her cover if you want not just purely her artwork. Limited limited variants. Uh, there's a photo cover limited variant of uh, Lady Larkin who's, who's cosplays Geek Girl. All of this. GeekGirlComics.com. It, it will link you to it. If you're looking for the limited variants. Uh, eBay is probably the easiest thing. Uh, they will be up in, in the planet. I don't know if they are yet, but basically the homepage of Geek Girl, there's three links at the bottom to getting them wherever they're all available through that. And I always say, remember the hyphen. Always the hyphen, but not on the not on the website. That's that's confusing now, way. Don't put the hyphen in geekgirlcomics.com. It's geekgirlcomics.com or one word. Okay. But if you're searching for uh, on like Amazon and that, mm-hmm. geek hyphen girl, because there was a series of books called Geek Girl, which bear no relation. And uh, if you get them, you're going to be scratching your head waiting for the super heroics to kick. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> now, I, I, as I remember, you don't go to many conventions. Uh, well, it depends. I have, I have phases. I'm actually doing one uh, as this goes out today uh, in Sheffield. Um, so, yes, that's the first one I've done this year. Mm. I mean, Kickstarter is something I've got very into. And it takes, when you have a Kickstarter campaign, it takes a lot of prep. It takes, a, I mean, whenever I've 
ran the campaign. I've, I've had the whole month off the, the, the part-time day job that I work in order to devote full-time to it. And I enjoy it, and it's, it seems to be a great way of getting people involved and, and sort of, well, integrated in terms of, like, the plane scene reward we did. So that's – because that's something I've got, I've got into – fairly recently um that has been something I've, I've been very focused on but yeah doing a convention today as this goes out in sheffield uh, called out of this world and uh we'll see if that that leads to more yeah yeah it'd be kind of fun because one of the things i noticed there are several people here in the states that give out or, or, or shall we say they sell their book and the only place they do it is during conventions and they seem to be able to, to make it work. And I don't know if that's a model that you want to embrace, but, you know, it's it, it helps. If nothing else, it helps get the word out about what you're oh, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not been particularly conscious that I – I mean, I've, I've done plenty of conventions, but the fact that I haven't done any this year until now isn't a particularly conscious decision. It just sort of – it's kind of worked out that way, but also, as I said, the amount of time prepping, setting up, running a Kickstarter takes, you know, a lot of a lot of focus. But yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not averse to uh, conventions, and if if this one uh, goes goes well, then I'll certainly be looking to do more. In terms of America, because I'm in the UK, Sheffield is the UK. It's it's a budget thing, so that's something I want to do down the line. But it's it's uh, wouldn't be a cheap thing to do, so we need to. Uh, a bit more in the bank for that, I think. Uh, it'd be fun to have you at New York Comic Con sometime. Yeah, I and mean, I'd love, I'd love to do some of the big yeah, uh, New York is my favorite, and I love to go around and do those kind of things. Although Dragon Con, which is in Atlanta, I, I really came to love this year. Emerald City, there's stuff all over the country right now, and so it's really yeah for us. But you know, it'd, it'd be great to see you go in and, and get out in the in the public and get the word out. But you're right about. Kickstarters, Kickstarters. People look at them like as if they're something you know easy, and you just pop something out there, and people give you money. But as you prove, you got to work hard at it, and you do a good job on your Kickstarters. So, you know, that's great stuff. It, it's people should look at your Kickstarters and learn from how you do it because you do it right. I think. Yeah, I mean, anyone that that does Kickstarters or is looking to, I always recommend as well uh, Comics Launch with an X. Uh, comicslaunch.com the podcasts that Tyler does there have been very useful so if, if, if something you want to get into I, I recommend listening there's a there's a, a, a library of these podcasts uh, and there's there's much more than you think to run a campaign and I found them very useful so that, that's my tip for anyone that wants to, to get in a comicslaunch.com with an X hmm. okay anything else that uh, you want people to know about uh, what you're up to I think I think we're good. I think I've given away just about enough of Geek Girl without uh, spoiling anything. I mean, it's an extra size issue, so there's there's yeah. there's room in there for plenty of stuff. And I'm you know I'm excited. This is the, this is my focus right now. Uh, I'm excited with where it's going. As I say, I'm bringing ideas that I've I've had in the can but haven't had the right venue for. Uh, things are going to get weird, and uh, I'm I'm into that. Well, you know, it's great. You and I have been talking for quite a while now, and it's great to see you, you know, making these things on a, on a regular basis and making them happen, you know, and it, it's great that you've reached this place, and I, I hope you get to do even more as the future goes on, because I think uh, people will like what they see. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy. I can, you know, hand on my heart, say I, I you know, I would recommend it. It's I, I do it because I love it, and the creative team's 
super into it. So, uh, yeah, I'm invested in it. I've got big plans. There's lots more to come, and, and five is a great place to get on the beginning of it. Yeah, well, Sam, keep it up. You're doing wonderful stuff. Of course, again, it's Geek Girl with a hyphen in it, in the middle. Geekgirlcomics.com without the hyphen. Just, yes. keep it, just keep it simple. I don't think you can put a hyphen in a, in a, a name like that, can you? Uh, probably not, but just remember, if you're searching for the same on Comixology, Amazon, anywhere you want the hyphen in there, geekgirlcomics.com, or one word, no hyphen. All right, Sam. Well, you keep it up because it's good stuff, and I can't wait for more people to get a chance to read it because now it's available. This is your chance. So get out there and do that. And thanks, Sam, for talking with me. We'll talk with you again sometime in the near future, I'm sure. Absolutely. Thank you, Wayne. And that's a wrap for this episode. And in coming weeks, I'll have some great interviews, so be sure to be here. But until then, keep reading your comics. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.